You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, thanks everybody. Uh, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon uh, as we look back on what seems like a bit of a fantastical sort of moment in time from earlier this year. Uh, it's really lovely to see some familiar faces and many new faces and we're really excited about this conversation um, that we'll be collectively having about the quarry and the pedagogies camp and some of the thinking um, sort of and themes that have driven the program and then led to ongoing conversations in the week since uh, and seeing what fosters in terms of new ideas and connections this afternoon as well. Uh, my name's Ilana Russell and I'll be uh, speaking this afternoon with Jen Lynch, Joseph Norster, Millie Catlin and Raf Kilpatrick. Um, I'll introduce them more formally shortly. Uh, but I also just wanted to start by acknowledging that we are gathered here today on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Bunrung people of the Kulin Nations. And I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to First Nations people here with us today to extend that respect to you. Also, when we are talking about the quarries and the pedagogy camp, it's important to acknowledge the Gadabanood people as the traditional custodians of that site. And really, more broadly, when we are here collectively or individually as practitioners that work with site and place and think about models of care and community building in site, it's so important to always acknowledge the first peoples of this country that have been doing this work and caring for country for millennia. So this afternoon, we're collectively going to reflect and open space for new conversation and emergent ideas that have come from the Quarry Pedagogies Camp, which ran as two consecutive five-day programs earlier this February at Beach Forest, which was the site of a 140-year-old former quarry uh, in the Otway Ranges. The camp brought together a community of designers and creative professionals to consider the site and its post-extractive condition rehabilitation as an expanded practice and how to foster cultures through place. The program was developed by Millie and Joe in collaboration with Jen and Raf and a small team of individuals, some of whom may be here today. Uh, Millie and Joe, who many of you will know, are the founders of These Are The Projects We Do Together. Uh, it's an organisation that supports a small team of practitioners that works across architecture, art, design and curation to drive projects and maintain sites that embed models of care and community building. Jen Lynch is a landscape architect whose research explores the commons as an alternative lineage to landscape and Raph Kilpatrick, uh, his research and practice explores the role building as process has on forming community and environmental relationships. So we'll spend the next 20 minutes or so uh, chatting with Jen, Joe, Millie and Raf uh, about the thinking and the design behind the quarry side and the pedagogies program. Then we'll be sharing around the cards that everyone had a chance to write a reflection, um, a vignette, a memory, something that has emerged uh, 
during the camp or in the week since, um, and everyone will have the opportunity to read somebody else's reflection piece, and that will lead to broader conversation. Uh, and then we'll wrap it up just with informal catch-up, um, meeting people who we may have missed uh, in one of the weeks of the camp, and I think there'll be some drinks as well at the bar. Uh, so to begin, um, Joe and Millie, I'd love to ask you to start us off uh, just in talking about uh, a bit of the history of the Cori program, uh, how the site came to be in your care. Um, and I think also in talking about the, the Quarry, sorry, just jumped into that, uh, in talking about the Quarry, also about your practice as the projects um, and how you work in this way with sites, uh, looking to sort of build infrastructure that supports creative communities and um, practices, I guess, that respond to and work with sites. Am I on? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Alana. I just also would like to thank you, Alana, for being here and, and, and doing this with us. I really appreciate your, your time and thought in doing this. Is that that's working? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so the quarry is uh, very much one of uh, three projects that we run over, over a long period, we have been running over a, a, quite a while. And it's kind of ironic, but this work started as temporary based work, temporary project-based work. Uh, so the, the mechanism for that often is a care-based one, but often that relates to the, the, the issue at hand within that original site. So often we're responding very directly to a problem or a constraint that is perceived generally as um, an inhibition to use. And our approach has been to kind of navigate those, those problems and actually find ways of programming and working with those problems to create to create cultures through place. So Testing Grounds was the first project in which we did that and that was through a mechanism of a, a caretaker model where we were literally engaged as a caretaker on that site for the state government back in 2013. Uh, and then SiteWorks and the quarry came on board in both in 2016. Uh, and one is in a former school which was looking at, at, at sort of an expanded mode of education and learning within that school kind of infrastructure and then the quarry uh, is the third site which is very much responding to the constraints of the rehabilitation plan. I think, um, I think that um, to follow on from that a little bit the I guess the the why and the how also begins to some extent with a bit of a process of just sheer luck and and coming across these sites or these environments that do have significant problems with them, they're difficult sites, they're um, problematic and there's not necessarily an easy solution for them that's out of the box. And I think one thing that we've done over time is to see ways to leverage alternative modes of, I guess, engaging with these sites. Um, and uh, to be honest, in, at first it was a bit of a throwaway line, like we will come in as the caretakers, there's a caretaker budget. Uh, just make us the caretakers. Uh, but it, it was a strong enough idea that, that it lasted for like four years at the original testing ground site. So I guess it's, it's not necessarily coming from a place of, um, it's responding to sites, I think, as much as anything. It's not necessarily coming to a site with a preconceived way of managing or dealing with them. It's coming to them and responding to what they need, I suppose. 
Yeah, and often the first day, like so often opening a project for us is the first day of that project as distinct from maybe an architectural project where the, the opening of that project is where a design process ends. So, um, and, and I guess programs and the design of programs, just like the design of infrastructures, are all part of contributing to that project over the long term. So often we don't have the answers for projects when we begin. Hence, projects and communities like these are really integral in shaping, shaping projects in the long term. You can, you can also get addicted to damage. Like there is a kind of a desire to fix things. You sort of get a little bit, you, you can get a great deal of sort of feelings of self-worth and, and, and feeling valuable within a community when you're fixing things. You know, so I think that that's part of something that drives myself personally. It's something, the ability to fix things, make things right, um, is a powerful driver um, for the way we approach sites. And, and so coming across the quarry, for example, after working into urban contexts like South Bank, just behind the art centre there and the gallery and then up in Brunswick, coming across the quarry within a broader context like the extractive industries, for those that have been to beach forests or know that kind of area, you've got a logging industry that's been happening for many years. You've got a dairy industry that's been happening for many years and a quarrying industry that's been happening for many years. All of them are extractive and, and have significant, do significant damage to the landscape. Um, so coming across the quarry was sort of like the ultimate damaged site that need, and so it, it drew something out of us that I think was really important. It was kind of this, yeah, to, 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 to want to heal it, to want to fix it. And what were some of the questions that you were asking each other and of the site in those early days of being at the quarry and thinking about what the future or rehabilitation for the site could look like? I guess do you really want to do this? No. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, I think the the biggest thing for us was time because this project is we have lots of time. We have very little resources funding this project, and so taking our time was really important. But also the pushing against the uh, conventional approach of rehabilitation, which is all about the faster the better, expedited sort of programs of, of, of fixing the problem site or filling the hole is, is the conventional mode, I guess. So the biggest question we had is how, how can we slow down that process and how can we push against those conventions um, through the rehabilitation plan to really um, see how long we could take to do it. And it's extraordinary when you just leave a site alone for, for years, how much it knows how to repair itself. That's, we were just looking back at photos of, from 2015 uh, the other day and it's mind-blowing how much it's changed, yeah. Uh, I'd love to sort of lead with that into conversations about infrastructure and how you built a space, I guess, that we're able to foster a community of all of us during the ped pedagogies camp, uh, but also to foster and support ongoing um, time spent at the camp by different individuals and groups. And I think Raf and Joe, both of you were part of a small team along with David and Alec, who may be here. Hey, <laughs> both of them over there. Um, <laughs> David's uh, looking nonchalant. <laughs> it would be great just to hear about uh, how you went into the, you know, those conversations or thinking about infrastructure and how you develop and build infrastructure for I guess, communities that are not yet known um, and for activity that is not yet known or determined, um, especially as that's a really familiar or sort of um, 
a theme that carries across many of the projects, projects uh, testing grounds being one of the uh, most obvious, I guess, examples, the various iterations of that side and the different ways that people have engaged with that um, over the years. But if you, even if you wanted to come and join David and Alex. I was trying to embarrass them into coming and <laughs> sitting sure up here, will. but we'll see how we go. Um, I, I guess the, they may not want to, but the, um, I guess as a start, um, the, the relationship with the quarry and, and the infrastructure that we were able to provide for the camp specifically um, came from uh, an informal relationship we had with the National Gallery um, right across the road. Hi, guys. Um, and that, that's a real classic sort of back of house kind of relationship in that when Testing Grounds was established uh, at the loading dock of the National Gallery and the Arts Centre there, um, we established relationships with a lot of the people that worked within the National Gallery back of house. And, and we were approached in 2016, 2017, thereabouts, um, to help the National Gallery uh, repurpose their... Um, summer architectural commissions. So that if anyone's familiar with the architectural commissions that sit in the garden at the gallery, at the end of their lives, they don't necessarily have a, a future that's known. So the material itself, uh, as we understand it, is mostly recycled or skipped. So we established a relationship with the gallery that would we would, in essence, harvest that material um, and then store it at the quarry for future use. And it was a very distinct and direct kind of approach. So over the years, we've established this kind of hoard of materials at the quarry with the, with the, with the idea that they would be used for future building projects. Um, it was then that um, myself and Millie sort of talked to David about this hoard of materials and, and coming up with a way of responding to them, building from them, uh, we had a kind of a philosophy that we were going to try and not buy anything except for screws when we built and made. Um, and myself and David went down to the quarry a number of times and had a discussion about what we could do with limited time and, and, and the materials we had. Um, and then we put in process a, a number of weeks Then we would go down as a team, Alec and Raf and myself and David, we'd go down to a team and we would build. Um, and the morning started rather gently and... and I like something, uh, something that strikes me, Raf, the, the notion of a rouseabout. Like I really, I think you've kind of embraced this idea of, of someone who's generally capable and handy in the world. And I really kind of love that idea myself and it's something that Raf had talked about. But the, that, that ability to kind of see a material and imagine what it might become. Our design sessions in the morning were over a cup of coffee and if they took more than about 35 to 40 minutes, we felt like we we're sort of wasting our time a little bit. So they're qu quite responsive, instinctual responses to the material. Um, I think like, Raf, do you want to maybe talk briefly about kind of the way you thought about particularly the canteen? Mm -hmm. um, I'm just yeah. dumping Raf in that, sorry. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting model that we've all worked with, which is the response to material first as a way to be able to generate um, architectures or uh, outcomes from that and thinking, sort of imagining forward or imagining these potential futures of a material into and through a building. 
Um, and I think for me that ties a lot into um, international development sort of fields and especially around response to disasters where instead of uh, coming up with the ultimate solution and flying it in and, and saying to a community, here is the beginnings of your community which is the pr end product of a building, um, you're instead engaging in all of these different knowledges that uh, of a place and an understanding of a context that really has to come through that uh, building back process as well as um, the materials at hand being utilised and then also the knowledge of how to use those materials has to come through that as well. So what you're instead doing then is you're, you're building um, in development would be your... Um, building social capital by the connections that you're making between people. You're also uh, drawing upon natural uh, or resources and uh, that resource capital, but also building that knowledge of a community, which is in essence what the role of a community is in, in coming back um, and, and generating that knowledge that is how the, the future sort of is imagined from that um, space and that, that context. So I think, you know, in the four of us coming together, we, we were in a way... Um, designing by dreaming of future use and so for me um, I didn't participate in all of the workshops that you all uh, did during the camp because I was busy cooking in the kitchen um, but uh, we were imagining the use of it by also thinking about it being um, or the approach that I, I like to take is this sort of good enough approach if you just do enough to initiate someone else to come along and engage with that um, then uh, then it will become something else and take on a life of its own. And we sort of saw that with the kitchen, especially where the uh, sink was just draining onto the floor and um, quickly that was turned into a uh, drainage system by Siobhan and then that was adapted for the second camp um, and became wetland. And, uh, you know, these, these things sort of get added to and there were compost heaps that were sort of uh, constructed outside of that. Um, and some of that is, is in the thinking of the design process and the building and the materials by inverting these things, making it obvious what's unfinished, making it obvious how something has been constructed so that language then gets taken up and responded to um, by a community uh, observing that. Part of the, um, I guess, the process of building these objects as well, these, you know, there's a bathhouse, which was a place that was relaxing and, and we learnt but almost by accident, a quite a convivial kind of place. Um, the the request for kind of like a beer tap at one point was <laughs> requested as in the bathhouse, which I actually think is a brilliant idea. But I think that that the notion of unfinished was really important, and the notion that these buildings or these objects could be improved upon or adapted or changed while the camps were on or over time was really important. Um, and it was beach forest in. November and December, which you might think is this delightful kind of spring uh, sun and birds, but it was actually sort of horizontal sleet and rain for a long time. And I think that the, the hard, the genuinely hard physical labour that was required to pull these things out of the mud um, is something that we all sort of learnt from, but I kind of, you, you start delighting in that kind of hard work. Um, often you'll see something, a beautiful object like this erect, um, and it appears from behind, you know, hoarding and it magically sort of arises out of the ground. But you could sort of see the, the marks of the builds once we were finished, the tyre tracks, the, the, te 
the tears, the scars, the <laughs> mental and physical. Um, but yeah, so there, there was something about the process that was I quite enjoyed. It, but yeah. And I think um, it's funny that you you mentioned sort of this unfinishedness to the design and the structure, but I think that I saw that more as an openness and an invitation, I guess, to the participants to uh, be able to sort of have their own or make their own sort of mark or uh, be able to sort of reframe or collectively build into elements of the, the site. Um, and I think that openness and that opportunity for people to sort of co-author and I guess have agency over the space and the structures, um, the site and the program is also something that was really apparent and that I wanted to chat to you, Jen and Millie about uh, in designing the pedagogies program. Um, I was only there for quite a short period of time on the second week, but it was really clear uh, just how incredibly sort of open and generative the program was and that it factored in time for conversation and for sort of quiet discovery and, um, you know, individual sort of explorations of site, but then also for conversations between strangers that very quickly, you know, everyone became a glorious family um, during both weeks. Uh, so it'd be great just to hear from you both about the, some of the thinking behind that program and how you, um, you know, if it was an active decision, I guess, to embed that sort of openness um, within the program um, or if, you know, that sort of model of flexibility that I think was really obvious in there. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Alana. I, um, yeah, so I was working on the, um, the pedagogies component with Millie um, and I love the parallel that you're drawing between, I guess, the, in the physical infrastructure that sets up the space and then sort of the infrastructure of the program, which sort of sets the form of the week. And I do think that there is a, <laughs> there is, <laughs> the cockatoo, that there's a, there is a real parallel between the sort of openness, um, sort of giving it enough structure, but leaving it open-ended and flexible. I guess in terms of thinking about the pedagogies, um, I think where we sort of landed, there was sort of a, a few different aims, I guess, that were sort of driving them um, or behind them. One was around um, sort of, uh, really sort of thinking about the dynamics that might form between a group over a week-long duration um, and sort of, yeah, how you break the ice and how you start to sort of operate um, collectively, potentially, and creatively. Um, the other was around um, sort of introducing specialist um, perspectives, I guess, um, and that sort of gave people access to um, an understanding, an expanded understanding of the site and I guess some of the complex um, themes and sort of legacies that it represents. And then thirdly, there's sort of this intention to yeah, allow people this space to respond to the site um, um, through sort of a creative set of actions. And so I guess though we sort of, I guess in terms of the way we set up the program, it was trying to find a balance between these three different things. So we um, invited a whole range of contributors in. So I see Elizabeth, Angela, Auntie Bronwyn, um, Ellen, Andy, the other people, but I think we had like 10 or 12 people who came in. Um, oh, Min. Um, and yeah, so they, they were sort of invited in to um, hold the space. Um, and I guess, yeah, I think the, sort of the way we thought about the progression of the week was to first allow people um, ways into understanding the site. So starting with the geology, the hydrology, the ecology, the plant communities, um, mycelia, 
Allison's amazing talk, and then sort of thinking more in the second half of the week about um, sort of care-based practices and, and ways of responding um, creatively to, again, some of those themes and legacies that the site brings up. Um, we sort of balance that, that sort of structured um, time um, in the program with more open time. Um, so I guess giving people the sort of time and space and support, um, including tools and materials to start to, um, yeah, have a sort of openness in a way that they could sort of find their way in um, and start to respond to the site. And then thirdly, there was actually just thinking about the day-to-day -day operations of the camp. So yeah, bathing, um, cooking, doing the dishes, um, walking to your can, uh, to your tent and sharing a tent with somebody and it, it those were those kind of provided these infinite um, I guess formats in which you could connect with other people um, and sort of yeah so I think sort of that balance between those three different modes of sort of creative responsiveness sort of taking in content and sort of threads and sort of ways into the site and then um, actually just kind of living together they all sort of added up, I guess, in this way. I think if we were to maybe think about how the program was working. Mm. And I think there was also there was an important uh, objective for us as well in thinking about this is that we didn't want to position ourselves as the stereotypical camp leaders that have the answers and tell everyone what to do and when to do it. We were really interested in testing ways of juggling the kind of the structure but then a looseness or... Uh, yeah, an invitation, but an invitation for people to work on self-initiated projects if they wanted, but not an expectation that that was kind of some level of metric of involvement. There was no, um, you know, there was no sort of expectation that you would contribute through that. It was just an invitation to do that if you wanted. So I think that was also something uh, that we were really interested in testing out how you can have... Uh, yeah, tangential programs or activities happening that weren't being dictated by us for. And, and one of the things we were interested in testing is if we were also working in parallel on projects ourselves as opposed to facilitating projects. So that was a really interesting thing to kind of work through and learn from in doing that. Yeah, maybe just a, a follow-up on that. I think in terms of, we, it sort of especially played out in the second camp, but just actually the fact that we had that structure, but there was such a high degree of flexibility as sort of things changed, whether they were sort of cancellations or sort of shifts in terms of when people could be there um, to be present, or just even sensing out the dynamics of the group and sort of when people actually were sort of needing one mode over what we had originally planned for. Um, and we, we kind of kept um, going back to this thing as we were planning it, like it's, because it sort of sounds like a conference, I think the sort of contributors bit, and it sounds like a studio in terms of the response bit, um, the working time, the, yeah, but it, it sort of, we were like, it's not a conference because we don't want people to be passive, so it's sort of recognizable as a conference, and it's also not a studio because there's not a brief and there's not an expectation to sort of um, present something to be productive in a particular kind of way towards an output that sort of needs to be defended or sort of publicly shared, so it was... It sort of had, it resembled those things, but it, it sort of tried to also hold back from those because they sort of start to, um, yeah, set up sort, certain kind of routine um, ways of, of sort of operating. And it was sort of trying to resist those, I think, a bit too. Mm. And I think the use of food and the sharing of meals and the conversation that 
that came, you know, through those shared sort of lunches and dinners um, was also another really important distinction, I guess, of what set apart this program from some of those more formal structures, um, especially that exist within more educational sort of institutions, studios, like you mentioned. Um, and Raf, this is where you, you played such a key role um, in bringing us together through an incredibly sort of well thought out um, meals program offerings um, and it was also a really beautiful way to extend I guess that um, sort of model of openness um, and agency amongst the participants where people could contribute towards meals by foraging for edible wheel uh, wheels weed sorry um, or being part of meal preparation um, and it would be great to hear from you just in thinking about uh, what those meals would be that would sustain people and be the only source of food you know for that those five day periods um, and how it shifted for you actually being on site and making you know cooking uh, you mentioned earlier that you were a little bit removed from the program because you spent so much time within the camp kitchen but for so many people that was also a really central point of the program so it would be great to hear your perspective on it. <laughs> um, I'm not too too sure. As I as I said, I'm not a builder, and I'm also not a cook. So um, for me, it was perfect. Uh, I just said yes, and in doing that, is throwing yourself into it. Um, and so a little bit different to um, at home when you pull out a um, you know half a rotten pumpkin and you say, what can I make from this? Um, that's a bit like the building process where we got the rotten pumpkin from the NGV and we turned it into a carriage to go to the the ball. Thank you. Great metaphor. Good. We got there. Not soup. Um, and so the food actually for the camp for me was a, the opposite sort of process to a bit of that. It was more planning than I've ever done. I've never had a job in a design office and all of a sudden I had to work out how it, what everyone was going to eat for an entire week and how quickly all of those things would go off throughout the week because there was limited refrigeration and uh, as you know. And that was, that was a nice process actually because yeah, I was imagining again these sort of what I would like to eat, what was shared as well and everyone had different dietary requirements so that had to be factored into it. Um, and then there was also uh, thrown in there, try and reduce packaging and waste, of course, which we always try and do. And then there were all the dilemmas that in my head of how do I continue that conversation on if it's about rehabilitation. We're driving down there is past thousands and thousands of acres of hay paddocks that all go towards feeding those big fat cows next door and producing the milk. And, you know, for me, there were all these dilemmas in my mind that went crazy through that process. And then right down to painting myself over I need 46 litres of stock for the for what I'm going to cook because everything gets factored down into these little spreadsheets and turns into one quantity. Um, do I produce the stock using vegetables on camp and therefore use a gas burner that's really inefficient and producing methane that's polluting the atmosphere or do I start to go and buy these packaged cubes that are actually a diversion already of a waste source and efficiently heated to produce little concentrations and then they produce this little byproduct of this bit of plastic in a cardboard box that I'm going to have to throw out and I go, I don't know. <laughs> and so I really had a tough time um, planning the menu because of all of those dilemmas in my head. Um, the food part was really easy though because that was uh, thinking about 
how you might participate in eating at a table. And I thought all of those little condiments and bits and pieces that came together um, were about you engaging in food and sharing and passing bowls around at a table. And to me, that was the exciting part. So I'm glad that that happened. And um, then, then there were these problems of having recipes and quantities and you know you, you couldn't all of a sudden make a pesto when there was no things to make the pesto with and so luckily there was a book on site um, that was about foraging weeds and there was uh, before I knew it a kilo and a half of edible weeds in the pesto to save the day so lots of beautiful moments like that happened um, and I find the kitchen just like in our homes, ends up being the conversation point of a home. And we thought about the design of the, the canteen in that way too. It was always meant to be a thoroughfare and everyone was meant to be walking through that space. And I had great conversations um, over the chopping boards and we made awesome tacos on the last night um, because we had to make use of all the, the waste and that became a sort of creative endeavour for everyone. So, um, yeah, all of those things were... Um, both thought about beforehand, but also completely unexpected how they turned out. And, um, yeah. I think it's a round of applause. Uh, and just following on from that, Raph, um, about that, the unexpectedness, and just before we uh, sort of switch modes to go around the circle and for everybody to read um, each other's cards, I just love for the four of you maybe to respond to that question and throwing you a little bit on the spot here but um, there was so much of that program and you can see in the copies of their camp pack um, that are going around at the moment the incredible care and thinking that was embedded into that entire program and the experience that we were all able to have because of the work of these people and all of all of the thinking um, and that just enormous care that you put into the project, it was really experienced by us all. Um, and it made, you know, our experience the amazing time that it was. Um, but I would love to hear from you about something that unexpected that you that came about or was unplanned, a discovery, um, either that was during the camp or that has come in the, the week since, but just, yeah, something that was unplanned for. I guess I'll start just because it's been yeah on my mind a lot. Is the 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 two camp program was really a logistics exercise. We just literally couldn't get our heads around having more than about thirty people on site for meals and for accommodation. So there was this kind of this this two camp program that established. So we. We started on a Sunday, we went through to the Friday and then we stopped for the weekend and then we went again Sunday to, to Friday. And so everyone who is on those camps will know, know that well, whether you're on camp one or camp two, which is a really interesting dynamic for us all being here today. And I really hope everyone gets a chance to meet people that were on the other camp today. Uh, but the lessons that were able to be learnt and folded back into that second camp almost live was a really sort of joyful and kind of exhilarating experience. Just that moment of kind of, you know, that everyone knows when you sort of finish a project, you kind of go, ah, oh, it's a big exhale. But there was this kind of exhale, but then this immediate, it was immediately followed by a big inhale because we, there was lots to think about. There was lots to digest. There were lots of quick conversations. And then we were, we were preparing and reset, literally doing things like, washing sheets, but also, you know, clearing whiteboards, which was sort of both a metaphor and a very a real thing to sort of wipe away 
the marks of one and start again. But at the same time, there were the marks around the site. And I think um, Joe and Dylan and Ember were responsible for making some rocket stoves on the first camp. Well, a, a rocket, rocket stoves that were then really quickly incorporated into things that the participants on the second camp did. So um, then Emily was doing some, um, some making some natural dyes on those stoves. So that feedback and that flow from one to the other was was really great from our point of view in that we're sort of running a live experiment um, and things that we missed in the first camp didn't become regrets they became really important opportunities to to change tact or shift things slightly but then watching the accumulation of two camps was really joyful um, yeah so that would be my key learning that it, although it was a logistics exercise I think it was a really really interesting thing that happened do you, you want to go? Want to, sure. <laughs> <laughs> After you. <laughs> um, maybe it's a different version of what Millie's um, just described. Uh, but I think some of the things that really did legitimately um, emerge as surprising and sort of joyful responses um, to sort of the, you know, the kind of things that had been set down um, to be taken up by each by ourselves and then by all the other campers based on what they brought in in terms of their content, their practices, their perspectives. Um, some of the things I'm thinking about, that the weeds got brought up a lot, but I think that um, sort of this, <laughs> this way of sort of responding to something that somebody's offering, like a menu, with something like the weeds, it was sort of this, like that kind of gesture. Um, there was also the amazing um, corn cob fire pit extension arm that Lena did and did you as well, Dan? Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> there was that. There was um, the haiku invitation that Angela sort of gave us as sort of a way of digesting things. So I, I think uh, oh, the, one of my favorite moments was Gemma's, um, so Gemma sort of offered this recording of this performance she had done with um, one of her bands and it was like a 47 minute completely unplanned thing that f ended up falling perfectly into the program we were sitting on the base of the quarry on like the Thursday night with these two bonfires looking at the stars and listening to Gemma narrate the entire history of earth in, in this way that miraculously I thought that I actually thought as I was listening to it that you had written it as a response to the themes that were brought up earlier in the week because it aligned with them so perfectly. So it was just this kind of like transcendent moment. But So I think they were kind of big and small. But what I really loved about it is um, maybe going back to this idea of sort of um, operating at the edge or sort of falling out of these sort of... Um, sort of predictable frameworks in which we tend to communicate and exchange with each other. I think there was a sort of way of responding to people's practices and sort of what they were bringing their co their contributions through these other forms of contribution and practice that were sort of really surprising, um, but really amazing. So they sort of, yeah, they sort of built upon and synthesized all of the stuff that everybody was throwing into the environment and into the conversation in these kind of beautiful and, and completely unexpected ways um, that, yeah, took many different forms. Yeah, that was, that was to me, the most incredible um, part of it. Yeah, um, briefly, I, I, I was sort of thinking about the things that were unbidden or, or, or emerged for me very much. And it, I guess... Uh, it was a spatial thing. Uh, I discovered parts of the quarry that I hadn't... Uh, I'd lost, I think. There's the, the parts of the quarry sort of opened up for me physically that I had forgotten about or had changed radically over the last five or six years. Um, and so there was this really regular moment of delight where I would stumble across a new part of the quarry that 
I just it felt like I'd stepped into a new little world. And that was minuscule, tiny little bugs that were swimming around with Angela, like these tiny little worlds that I'd step into. Uh, and then there were clefts and, and hidden caves and a whole range of other different landscapes that I had completely forgotten existed or had changed radically. So that for me was the kind of thing that I came away from. And the outrageous generosity that was, I was a bit blown away by that. I kind of expected people to be polite and nice and, you know, reasonable and stuff. But there was something other than, than that that really took my breath away, to be honest. Um, oh, there were lots of things. I think f for me being down there for a month and a half with the building and the rain coming in sideways and then returning uh, a bit later to the beginning of the camp and feeling like I'd um, walked into somewhere new was to see the work of um, Alec and David and Joe uh, building that beautiful dining hall that was floating up the top there. Um, that was magic. And then to see everyone eating around it each night and to, for everyone to start feeling like it was their home very, very quickly. Um, that was sort of unexpected for me that everyone bonded so fast and those conversations took off. Um, yeah. And I think that's a perfect uh, opportunity now for all of us to collectively uh, read and share in what those other sort of unexpected experiences, thoughts um, that have emerged for this collective group. So what I'll do is um, grab all of the cards and then I will hand them around for everyone to pass um, across, yeah, across the circle. And then I think we'll just share microphones and everyone can just uh, sort of go around and read what they have on their card. So just bear with us for a few minutes while we... I'm, I'm just going to start reading, um, so listen if you want, yep. I think the whole fluidity of the experience was a highlight for me. In our contemporary contexts, it's difficult to give ideas and thoughts, space and time to breathe, and that was especially interesting for me in the quarry pedagogy's approach. This extends impacts not only the personal reflections I had, but also the process of communicating and building relationships with people there. Well done, Alec. <clears throat> Just trying to work out if I could guess who wrote this one, but we weren't sure if this would work. <laughs> but we are willing to try. And we are so grateful for the contributions from everyone and for the future and for the learning. Um, more mm. and more. Uh, more and more as we keep going. Thanks. Uh, it's been a while like a dream. The energy and the support from that camp week still feed me every day. Every time when people ask me about the camp experience, I didn't know how to describe that in words. It's complex. I still wonder how do I recreate and re-experience all that again. I learned about radical hospitality there was no fee to attend the camp. There was no set outcome, no dues to be paid. But there was always coffee, snacks, and a friend to talk to. Okay. No running water, showers, no flushing toilets, no lasting light bulb, 
No social media chaos. I didn't know my buddy could adopt to this mode of living so easily. Perhaps it's because it was a community, respects independent, codependent accommodation. We care for each other. And that everyone is an expert in something. Um, we sit next to the fire pit, pit each night, making spiced, spiced milk, hot chocolate, roasted marshmallows, brunt, brunt bananas and laugh. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the quarry. I don't think I would stop thinking about it because it was like a dream. But perhaps we could keep the dream going. I loved feeling the change in temperature and moisture as we walked into the gully on the first day, standing together in a shady and hidden corner of the quarry site, learning to see plants with fresh eyes to dis into, or maybe disappear into the earth beneath us and test the humus. As we sit in our camp chairs on the gravel ground beneath a large shed structure, the darkness of the first night of camp surrounds us. Projected against a translucent curtain wall is a presentation about the ever-evolving nature of geology. We learn that geology is not just about the past, but also about the future. Rocks are not lifeless objects. They are alive and contain their own unique DNA and histories. The rocks that make up the buildings, roads, and other parts of the human-made environment we inhabit will continue on as part of new futures. This is a difficult one for me to read. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'll try. The last evening of the camp, there was a sense of things lifting off through the collective creativity and generosity of the group. In every direction, things were happening Mm, to co-produce the final feast. There was corn grilling on an extension of, a, of the fire pit someone had built, sorry, to fit the dimensions of the cab, the, the cob. People were assembling a cocktail assembly line with founded berries, uh, farming the forming the, bed, the beds of the drink. Tortillas were being pressed in the canteen. The tables, the table was being set. Uh, things felt choreographed, like a single shot sequence, sequence from a, move, uh, a film. The collective flow state had all the set vibes of a studio and a great party uh, at the same time. I'm sorry who wrote this because it was hard for me to read it. But <laughs> uh, this person's um, contributed a drawing. It could be a keyhole or it could be a planned drawing of the fire pit and its extension potentially. Uh, and then they've written a bunch of words around the outside. Uh, space lawyer, concrete researcher, heritage restoration, hidden caves, natural dye, stocking mycelium, imported ice, straw pets, 
pemmican, haiku, model maker, swamp gut, producers, shoreham, soon to be country, blue shirt, stone artist, spring city, project starter, food barrier, ancestral movement, landscape architect, harissa soup, furniture factory, eel and flying fox, visual sound recorder, grandma's quarry, community researcher, documenter. Boom. Woof. As Augie hit the log drum, the cut barked back. The new rainforest barked back. The cut through the side of the quarry, one of the beautiful places on site, with a sonic response to the drum, an unseen energy activated. Leaf litter, drawing meditation on my last day. And there is a picture of leaf litter. And an excerpt from Alison Puglio's book, The Allure of Fungi from 2019, published by CSIRO. Can such things really be? Can we not just let them be and value them for just being? Might we just for a moment contemplate the possibility of being struck incredulous to rediscover a sense of wonder in the extraordinariness of fungal lives. Alison spoke of the importance of aesthetics and language in ecologies. This framed the relationship between nature and human intervention how the category of the quarry is constantly re-articulated and expanded through new understanding. Everyone in the camp read the site differently while directly immersed, experiencing and performing with the site, conversation had the ability to transform it. Okay. Uh, soup, sit, look around. Look around again to hear, listen, be heard, digest. Uh, watching Luca fly down one side of the quarry on his bike, passing through it like it was a performative act and not that he just needed to get somewhere. No one else was in sight. Uh, so this is a beautiful drawing that can kind of come and see. It says, slowing down, noticing things. Drawing details of the quarry floor, Tuesday 14th of Feb, around 1pm. On reflection, there has been a really key shift in my thinking about what design actually is or can be. Often it's not the design of a thing that's required. Engaging with sites softly through something like a gathering or a conversation may be more effective may be a more effective way of influencing change. Overall, the embodied connection with place to perform rehabilitation, experiencing the physicality of caring through destruction for transformation, clearly noticeable in the blackberry whacking. 
forming knowledge in multiple collaborations by walking, touching, learning and transpiring. Um, thanks so much to those that uh, wrote down some reflections and thoughts and there's still uh, plenty more sheets of paper if people wanted to um, write anything sort of in the, the after this uh, talk part finishes. I think it's really fantastic for Millie and Joe and everybody just to be able to, um, yeah, be able to hold on to some of those um, thoughts and reflections from everybody. So please feel free to continue contributing. And now, while we've got another half hour or so, I think it'd be great just to have open conversation, uh, the opportunity for people to share thoughts, to ask questions, um, ask questions of the group broadly, as well as uh, for Jen, Joe, Millie and Raf. Uh, did anyone want to start us off? And I can run around and pass microphones. Oh, thanks. Otto can as well. Anybody? I know there's always that moment of the first question. It's kind of like, who's going to throw themselves in front of the bus? To go to Hello. Uh, what are you doing Tuesday? <laughs> um, a beautiful question. Um, when are we coming back? We, uh, the long-term plan is to have another camp next year. Um, but we feel that the site and the camp can sort of take visitation year round at the moment. So the tents are up, the canteen we go down and see every week and a half or so just to make sure it hasn't slipped down the hill or anything, but it's all looking remarkably robust and, and stable. So we kind of, we've been talking to people to come down. We did a, a Blackberry task force event there the other week, which was kind of madness. Um, but it's sort of open for use, I think. I think we kind of like the idea that we're propositioned for, for use. So. I think there's sort of something to be said that, that this kind of thing might happen once a year or once every two years, but a continual occupation, a, a, a sort of a, a coming to it is something that you could go down tomorrow if you want. <laughs> and and we're, we're, we were quite sort of um, interested in this first camp being the beginning of the establishment of a culture through this place. Um, and so, yeah, we sort of wonder, yeah, there is the op the open invitation is of course there, but also then the the group that have been there we would um, yeah it's it's there, <laughs> and this this camp was the very much the beginning of establishing establishing sort of a culture of of people <laughs> understanding what's possible and people being willing to kind of question or push what's possible through the site. Any other questions, Dylan? <laughs> yeah, Promen. Uh, I just would like to make a comment in relation to the food. <laughs> I've uh, never had vegan food, uh, but I was vegetarian for a long time. Um, it was simply delicious. But I want to make a complaint, one complaint. Um, I put on two kilograms. <laughs> Not happy, Jan. <laughs> oh, 
Sorry. We're, we're working on a, 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 sm a small, well, maybe a largish publication. Where's Leto? There. And um, we're, so we're pulling together transcripts and photographs, and, and there's been a request to include all the recipes in this book, and that is happening. So the recipes will be shared soon enough. Um, thanks. My name's Emily. Um, I guess I had a question around how you see the relationship moving forward with um, local people from the land of the Gadamwood people, uh, people and the Otways Rangers. And I was fortunate enough to come to the um, Blackberry event. And that was really amazing to hear from the kind of diversity and the creative practices and, and the land care kind of this, the strengths of people who live there and it was really interesting to then contrast that to some of the conversations I had on the camp and I just felt like there was so much rich knowledge um, and diversity of thought and I was just curious, yeah, to see how you were thinking about those things, I guess, um, together moving forward. I guess um, just briefly, I mean, I talked to Richard uh, on a relatively regular basis these days. Um, uh, so Richard's Ganabanood or Ganabanood um, and he was kind enough to visit us uh, on the camp and talk about the history of the country and his relationship with custodianship of the country. And so he, we, we chatted about him coming to the Blackberry Task Force but he, it was his birthday. So, um, But the yeah, so there's, a, there's an ongoing kind of relationship there that's personal, I think. Um, and I think that's something that we really took from Richard's kind of input was that these relationships are familiar, they're, they're personal, they're about family, they're about country. And so that connection that he will have with the quarry and, and the broader landscape of the Otways is ongoing and intrinsic to the future of the quarry. So him coming to it and, and, and discovering things about it is will be on his terms. Um, the broader community that exists in Beach Forest and, and the kind of Otway region, um, we we reach out to them and, and try and invite them or, or participate in, in community events on a pretty re regular basis. And we've developed quite strong friendships with people who live locally, which is really lovely. Um, but these things take many years. Like it's, you become part of a community. It takes decades, you know, to be sort of welcomed in. But yeah. I think Joe, Joe you made an interesting point once Joe grew up in a country town and made a really interesting point to me like early on with this project is that you don't want to overpromise a local community. You don't want to overpromise too much with a local community. There's so many projects that kind of, you know, come in and we're going to, you know, do all this amazing stuff. So we've been very slow with those relationships. But I think the Blackberries is a really interesting one because that's a front and centre issue for a lot of people and we all relate to that and we all come together around those concerns. So I think, yeah, it was really great you were able to go to that and that contrast I think is really interesting. Um, but, yeah. One thing that, um, and I'm sort of just harking back to that extractive kind of industry that, that exists, that has existed on the site, we're very mindful that there is there are other forms of extraction that can happen culturally. So like dropping a, a festival into a little town can be very exciting, but it also can take quite a toll. And, and the local, the people who live there and who will be there when the circus rolls on um, may be tired or damaged or there is an extraction that happens there so we're very mindful of that so we're kind of not interested in sort of like landing in a community 
harvesting or extracting from them and then moving on. It need, you need to be embedded in it for a long period of time. Hey, um, been loving this moment today. And um, I think maybe we touched a little bit through the conversation, but if we could focus some of the dimensions of how have you guys been navigating relationships of the quarry and the project that is in there in its very rich, self-generated, uh, undefined, like all these different natures we've been talking through this whole experience with more traditional formal spaces of governance, institutions, obligations and responsibilities that so many times format so much the possibilities. And you guys are holding space of so something else way richer. Um, how has been this relationship with more formal uh, stakeholders, actors that participate in the practice you have? Because I think we, you mentioned also the possibility of the camp pedagogy in the rehabilitation being shared to other sites that are also required kind of work. So how have you navigated and maybe changed this relationship with overall governance of the site? I'll, I'll cover one point just really quickly and then I think Millie might talk about a few other points. But um, the rehabilitation specifically, um, we're proposing a fairly radical change to the rehabilitation plan on the site. Um, I guess one of the things that we're doing is we're quite actively trying to gather support for that radical change to a rehabilitation plan. One of the things we've done is we've engaged with uh, some professors at Monash University who work in this field specifically. I'm meeting their students on Monday. Um, to And Peter Bark, who's out here from Switzerland, who specialises in uh, alternate modes of rehabilitation in Europe. So we're meeting on Monday afternoon to talk about this project and what his, his work uh, that's been going on. And he's produced a GIS map of every single abandoned quarry in Victoria. And he's working on a worldwide map of abandoned mines and quarries that would be publicly accessible. So that's kind of, that's what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> the other thing that's really interesting is, in this goes back to, I guess, the point we started on, is the problem is also part of the solution here. So the rehabilitation plan, while it's still open and it's still, the site is still an active quarry and it is still in the process of being rehabilitated with no time frame set on that, it actually enables a lot of um, activity there that would otherwise not be available if we had to close the mine quarry and, um, and uh, change its use. So that kind of idea of le lever leveraging the issue is really important here. So we were legitimately able to, we're, we're, we're putting in planning permits at the moment for a, a shed, uh, which will accommodate a lot of the activities that happened at the camp. So the camp was very much a test for where and how to think about this stuff. Uh, and the though that shed being ancillary to quarrying is a lot easier than it being a shed for a farm or a shed for a something else. So it's really interesting the, the the governance of it being a live quarry is actually the mechanism for you continuing to use it. So we could we would legitimately be having camps in the future which were specifically about the rehabilitation of the quarry. We might not be miners and professors at Monash, but we we have something to say about that. And I think Emily and Leitu's piece 
Emily, sorry to put you on the spot, but Emily wrote a really sort of extraordinary piece in Reflection um, that was about composting and about a project that her and Leigh Two did on the last night, which we think speaks to rehabilitation just as well as any, you know, piece of scientific research. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Because um, some things surely have to be done illegally and uh, you don't ask permission for, yeah. otherwise they don't happen. I, that's true. I, I think that skating on that edge of, of, of technically legal and not is really interesting. I think that's something, a place that you hold with care and I think if you have due diligence and if you do things with care and safety and uh, then you can produce environments that are safe and reasonable um, and well thought out. I had a number of people who were on the camp who were clearly studying architecture and asked whether we'd gone through the planning permit and building permits for these buildings and I just said no and, and you wouldn't. There would be no reason to. They're temporary camp structures and I think that the imposition of, of, of putting them through those kind of processes would have broken them um, irreparably and it wouldn't have made any sense for us to do it. No. But other than that, the firearms and the... No, that's all <laughs> fine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. And maybe not, like, people don't have to have questions for us. If people would just like to share as well, that's super, like, we would love to hear from everyone as well as close to us. I had a question. Um, so, the, did anyone get lost while they're at the quarry? Like actually had a moment of going, oh, I don't know how to get back to the toilet or the kitchen or no, that's all. I just, I just had it struck me the other day that like, yeah, I was just wondering whether anyone would have a moment of loss or get lost. Oh, wonderful. I just had the kind of inverse experience of that. I think coming out of the site boundary on the little road past the big stones <laughs> and the gate on that last day, I was like, you kind of completely felt disoriented. I think like once you, because it sort of is like a spiral yeah. site. <laughs> you can kind of keep doing laps and going up and going down and everything. And then all of a sudden you for, you almost forget where you are because it is such a self-contained feeling world. Um, so I actually had the kind of inverse, like the shock of sort of exiting out of the space that's sort of formed there and yeah, having to reorient to even just immediate context <laughs> around the site. Walking out to um, that Burke Street corner of Southern Cross Station, me and Fiona just stood there so frazzled. <laughs> and we were talking about it before, how like, um, yeah, sensory-wise, how being uh, at the quarry was just, it was slow, it was soft, you know, there wasn't much fast pace happening. 
And then, yeah, being on that street corner, it was a bit of a smack in the face, <laughs> being back in an urban environment. Hello. I was just wondering if Augie had anything to say about contrasting the camps to school again. He hasn't arrived. He really struggled going back to school, actually. He's only just gotten back into the rhythm. So it's been a, an interesting journey getting him back to school. He's at the gallery. He's coming over to see everyone soon. They, I don't think he, we can... No, but thanks for asking, Lena. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting one because obviously we, they were, we were there as a family. And, um, yeah, coming back and settling back into this world was definitely um, difficult for them probably more than us. Um, I'd be interested to know, uh, I had this moment when I was having dinner and talking with Alex and Nick about... Um, public space and sort of civic agency and uh, both of you come from I think an urban geography, urban design planning practice, I came from a public art practice and I had this realisation that we are all talking about essentially the same, the same ideas and the same things and we're all working on the same problems but we just have a really different set of language, like you know uh, we define it differently, we come at it from yeah, a kind of different learned rhetoric, I guess. And it was really just this like, oh, of course, we're all, we're all talking about the same thing just in different ways. And it was just this kind of amazing realisation. Um, and I felt that it was kind of this like structure of the camp, I guess, allowed us all to figure out and learn bits of each other's language and new ways also of communicating. Um, is that, did people have other sort of similar moments like that or... Uh, share, I guess, that experience in any way that they might want to talk about? Hi, hi. Yeah, I'm, I didn't get to join the camps, but I had that experience quite deeply, just joining the work and being in the quarry. I remember the first morning um, we had our meeting where we would draw diagrams on the whiteboard and I would send pictures to Millie because I didn't understand, I'd say 90% of the first morning. I came away feeling lost and I was kind of, I didn't know how I was going to fit in the work and I didn't know how I was going to become a kind of valuable worker in that. For, for explanation, uh, Alex is a sociologist yeah. um, and writer on river systems in sort of like Southeast Asia and a whole range of different things. But anyway, it's, yeah, but not I a builder. But anyway, I think it's been really interesting to hear people talk about time and language and they've been coming back and back and I think that the softness that you mentioned about the quarry space and time and the kind of the language of being in a space where you're not bombarded with information but you are engaged really deeply in a process that you, you can't rush. You have to listen and you have to... And I, I, find that, I found that transformative. And it's been really, I wish I'd been able to go to the camps and I'd love to just have been able to be a fly on the wall for a few moments there. But yeah, it's nice to hear you talk about that language and that sharing and being with people from different disciplines. We're often in our silos of, we're speaking with people who speak our language and sometimes we're not challenged to listen and I think by the end of it, I knew what a purlin was, a beam, a joist, 
a bearer. I was like, what are these things? They were talking about them and pointing to these diagrams. I have no idea what's going on. And by the end, I thought, okay, I know what a post is. I know that a post can become a bearer, but it's not a bearer straight away. <laughs> I know how we get, we get a right angle with a, was it, two, oh, bloody, one, three, four, or something, you know, it was, three, four, five, three, four, five sorry. <laughs> See, it's still learning, but, yeah. I have, uh, I guess it's a, a question or a provocation, because I, I think everyone always shared how transformative it was and how the, the, the pedagogies were actually changing the way we think about things, the way we experience things. And I was wondering how, if you guys ever thought that it would be different if we are working with different age groups, for example, in the quarry, or different, because we are, we are all different, but still like arts, design, urban, yeah. So yeah, if you ever thought about how, how different the pedagogies would be if, if it was for a different age group or a different scholarity or a different, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Has anybody attended a camp as like a 12 year old? Yeah, it's like a rite of passage. Like in public school in the United States, you kind of like do these trust building exercises and like walks in the woods at night and stuff. I was thinking about it while I was there actively. Um, I think as I was almost going back to maybe what we were talking about before of sort of um, sort of leaning into the interpretation of like sort of legal constraints around things. I was just thinking about the amount of risk and just the sort of parental, not parental, but sort of custodian kind of role of the of anybody who would have been younger and that it would have actually felt out of control like almost too complex I think if you needed to if you needed to be across that um, I think I think it would be overwhelming but I don't know maybe you guys are thinking about doing this I think I like the kind of snakes and the heights and everything and the thorns and I was like oh my god like if you if you really felt like you had to have a heavier hand over the group dynamics and sort of people's safety it, I, I don't know I was thinking about it actively while I was there what it would be what it would have been like with a group of undergraduates and I think I would I would be overwhelmed mm. I think the um I was one thing that I learned from the quarry is that I've joined another community which is the community of people who have bed and breakfasts, which in in the Oway region, because we took a whole lot of sheets and blankets and towels to the laundromat on the on the Sunday afternoon, and whilst you are washing a hundred sheets and towels and things, you meet a whole lot of other people that are also washing sheets and towels from their Airbnb kind of environment. So I gather I joined this other community of practice in the laundromat, which was great. But whilst I was there, one of the people who was there was, uh, their daughter was in uh, the Scouts. And they talked, we were chatting about uh, Scout camps and, and uh, they're terrifying. Like, and, and, but they, they go into environments that are highly risky and they are extraordinarily competent and they give, you know, 12-year-olds a great amount of license to sort of discover and explore um, and of course she was kind of very keen for the scats to come to the quarry which I don't know about but anyway the um but yeah so I, I don't know I don't I, I have no fears for kind of 12 year olds gallivanting through the like through the quarry at all the snakes are the thing I mean people freak out about snakes the amount of people that get bitten by snakes is 
no, no one gets bitten by snakes, you know, but anyway. Okay, this might be a great point. <laughs> Just being lizards in the sun. <laughs> um, this might be a great point to wrap up on. We still have half an hour um, and it would be wonderful for everyone to please stay around and just catch up with each other, make new connections for uh, if you haven't met people um, from one of the other camp weeks yet, uh, to ask any questions of, yeah, collectively. Um, also, just re reminding you that there's still uh, paper and pens there if anyone, want, anyone felt like recording anything further that comes to mind. Um, but I just wanted to thank so much, Jen, Joe, Millie and Raf for your generosity of sharing uh, with us today and everybody here as well who's contributed, who's asked questions um, and who participated in the Pedagogies Camp. Um, it was really amazing to meet quite a few of you already and I really look forward to meeting more of you shortly after this. Thanks so much, everyone. You're listening to an Empavillion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at empavillion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.